All right. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Jonah, Jonah chapter number one, as where we've been, and uh, hopefully you'll get you'll get really quick at finding the book of Jonah. All right, because uh, I know it's kind of hidden back there, and uh, I too struggle. That's why I find it before church, and I put my bookmark in there so I can come and open my Bible right up to it. But. Uh, a couple things I wanted to mention as well, uh, me and Brother Andy, I said I, I took the teens. I was not alone. Me and, and Brother Andy took the teens out, uh, and I appreciate the uh, uh, Andy and, and Elizabeth Richardson helping with the teens. And we do have a bas some white bins in the back, and, and what's those for? That's to help uh, collect diapers and wipes for the Richardsons. And uh, they have stepped up and have been helping in our teen group and certainly appreciate their effort and their work. And, uh, and they're expecting their second child, and so we want to be a blessing and just a help. And so if you want to help with that, uh, those are in the back. And then um, there was one other thing. Uh, I know what I was going to say. The uh, Easter, uh, for we're going to just have the one service. This is the same as what we've basically done for many years. And that's uh, one service at 10 o'clock. And, uh, and it will be uh, like a church service. So we'll not be, we'll, we'll still have the uh, classes. We'll still go to their class. It will be like Sunday school per se. And, uh, but yet we'll treat it kind of like our regular church service. So we will not be in Jonah next week. We will be looking at uh, things pertaining to the resurrection and things pertaining to the, uh, that, that time of life in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but, uh, but we'll look forward to having a good service and uh, we look forward to having a, a good number of people here and uh, make it a matter of prayer uh, that the Lord would work and move in that service. And I would love to see people saved. Uh, I would love to, see, and you know what, even if people don't get saved, I would love to see people here that would hear the gospel. And uh, I would love for them to get saved that day, but you know what, even if they come and they don't get saved that day, it's not all lost, seeds are planted. Uh, and maybe the seeds that are there are watered. And so we continue to work on those things, and, uh, and I would love to see that. So make that a matter of prayer for Easter. And that's just kind of to inform you and help you know what's going on as well for Easter. And, uh, and so we'll look forward to that. Jonah chapter number one. And uh, we've, we've been studying in the book of Jonah. And we've noticed the duty of Jonah. We've noticed the disobedience of Jonah. We've noticed the disturbance. And I would like to say there was a, uh, there was a chapter. We're not going to spend the entire lesson on it. But I, I would like to just mention the detection of Jonah's sin before we move on to the dialogue uh, that took place. And, and let me just say this as we think about this, that sin can be revealed in many different ways. There's not just one pat formula for how sin is revealed in our life. But I do know this, uh, as parents, we would tell our, our children this verse often. Uh, matter of fact, I had to look it up because I, I know it's in the Bible, but I wasn't sure where it was. And we would only quote the last part. And the last part of the verse says, be sure your sin will find you out. And so I tell my kids that all the time. Uh, why? Because I want them to know mom and dad might not know and you might sneak around and get stuff done, but be sure your sin will find you out. And that's a great truth that's found in Numbers 32, 23. And the first part of that verse says, but if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord. Be sure and be sure your sin will find you out. And so we're going to look at uh, a little bit of that today and then we're going to talk about the dialogue. But look with me in Jonah chapter number one. Jonah has, of course, run from the Lord and we're going to jump in at verse number. Uh, let's jump in at number verse number seven there. 
The Bible says, And they said every one to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid. And said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up, and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Let's stop there. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. We thank you for the privilege that we have to gather in your house, gather around your word, Father, and, and study and learn and grow. And God, I pray that you would help us as we look at this passage this morning and as we spend time thinking about it. God, I pray that you would direct our thoughts to you. And God, I pray that you would encourage and strengthen and help every believer that's here this morning. God, that we would uh, that we'd be careful in our life. And, uh, and God, we live a life that would be honoring and glorifying to you. And God will certainly thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we think about this passage, verse number 7, uh, I just want to take a moment and touch on that. Because it does say there in verse number 7, and, and they said unto everyone, and they said every one to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell upon Jonah. Now what is this whole business of casting lots? We find it in the Bible. Matter of fact, it's referenced uh, several times. And... Um, and I just want to touch on this. Casting lots was certainly used during the Old Testament quite frequently. Uh, what, it, what is it exactly? Well, I don't know uh, if maybe it's writing uh, a name on a block of wood and then another name and then another name and then, and then kind of throwing it out there as a dice. Or uh, if you picture a dice, everyone pick a number. You know, well, I'm number five. And then you throw the dice and my number comes up. So therefore, my lot would be chosen. Or perhaps it's like drawing straws where you would grab all the straws and you would conceal them and then, and then you would pull one and, uh, and then whoever has the, that stick or whatever, that would be that person. Uh, and so it was kind of a, um, if I can say it this way, a chance product of trying to produce who is guilty or who it is that should be selected uh, for certain things. Now, it is very, um, 
if I can say it this way, chance. I, I don't like to use that word, uh, and I don't really like the, the way it all fits because of this. Here's why I don't like to say it per chance, but the Old Testament uses casting lots some 20 times uh, in the Bible. And so we find that it's used quite frequently. And here's where it gets really interesting because... Um, it was only used two times in the New Testament. Uh, but in the Old Testament, it was used, and even God ordained a way to determine which goat was let go. In Leviticus chapter number 16, you don't have to go there, uh, but they would, have a, uh, they would have a scapegoat. So they would bring two goats as an offering, and one, they were to kill it and take the blood and put it on the other goat, and then the other goat, they were to lead it out of the camp and let it go. And it would be a, a, like a symbol of, the, of this one. One going free. But when they had both of those goats, they were to cast lots to determine which one would go and which one would stay and be the sacrifice. And so God actually ordained and said, hey, I want you to cast lots to determine which goat would be used. Not only that, but casting lots was also used uh, in dividing up the promised land. At the, in the book of Joshua, uh, you'll find that, hey, they, uh, that when the time came as they went in and conquered the land and, and they wanted to say, hey, you get this portion and you get this portion, the way they would do that is uh, maybe they would drop a, a map and, and, and divide out the portions and then, uh, well, you know what, you pick a number between 1 and 10, spin the wheel, you spin the wheel, and that's the, that's the lot you got. I mean, uh, and so that's kind of how they would divide that up. And it was used throughout Scripture many times in the Old Testament. You remember Achan, uh, speaking of Joshua, when Achan had sinned and he had taken of the accursed thing. And the Bible says that um, they weren't sure who was guilty, and so they cast lots. And it came down to Achan's tribe. And then they cast lots again, and Achan's family was selected. Then they cast lots again, and Achan was selected. And so they determined who, uh, who it was, and, and constantly they were asking Achan, saying, hey, you need to confess. Uh, the same thing was true in, in the case of um, when Jonathan uh, had, had gone off and, 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 and eaten something, and, and Saul had told all the, all the Israel, nobody eats anything. We're going to attack and we're going to destroy the enemy. Nobody's to eat anything until after they're all dead. And, and Jonathan had tasted some honey. And they, drew, they, they cast lots, drew straws per se, uh, to find out, oh, it was Jonathan that had actually done that. And, uh, and so I say all that to say this, that it was used in the Old Testament quite extensively. Now, I said all that to say this, it only shows up two times in the New Testament. And that's very important for us to understand. And the one time it is, it is used by the soldiers that are sitting at the foot of Jesus' cross, they're casting lots on who should get his garment. And so they're trying to decide who it is that will get Jesus' garment. And that was, that was actually prophesied in the Old Testament. And, the, and so we know that, hey, they said it's going to happen. It did take place. Uh, really doesn't have anything to do, per se, with God's will in the New Testament deciding uh, stuff. The second time it shows up in the New Testament is in the book of Acts, when uh, Judas Iscariot had hung himself. 
and uh, the apostles were meeting together and they said, hey, we have got to select one more apostle. And so in so doing, they cast lots. And the Bible says that the, the lot fell on Matthias. You're saying, Matthias, who is he? And I'm with you. I'm saying, who is he? Because the Bible mentions him one time in the book of Acts, and, and that is it. You don't hear or see another word about Matthias throughout the rest of Scripture. And I say that because it's my opinion that Matthias was not God-chosen apostle uh, to replace Judas Iscariot. That's my opinion. Um, and, and why do I hold that opinion? Because Matthias basically disappears out of Scripture. You don't see him anymore. Um, that's not to say that Matthias wasn't a good guy and Matthias was not worthy. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying he was not the God-appointed apostle uh, that, that God wanted to replace Judas Iscariot. You'll notice as we go through, I've pointed it out many times in studying the Pauline epistles, that, that uh, Paul often will start out his, uh, his books with Paul, the apostle of, of God or of Jesus Christ. And, and what is that all about? It's Paul showing that, hey, he was the chosen apostle that was to replace uh, Judas Iscariot. And so I believe that Paul was the apostle uh, that was to replace Judas Iscariot. Matthias was not. And I say that to say this, that casting lots in the New Testament is not a way to determine the will of God for your life. In the Old Testament, we've seen it was used. But you understand, in the Old Testament, they did not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within them. In the Old Testament, they did not have the completed Word of God. In the Old Testament, they were working under a shroud, if I could say it that way. They didn't have a clear understanding. They didn't know a lot of things. Uh, they were very blessed in some ways, but then there was, uh, there was a lot of unknown to them. And so God did use casting lots in the Old Testament. Nobody can dispute that. You go back and you see it repetitively. But I want us to realize and understand that in the New Testament, it had faded out and it's not something that God had ordained. Or, or asked us to use and to continue. And those are the only two places that it shows up in the New Testament. And so understand that when we read this and the book of Jonah and that lots were cast to determine that Jonah was guilty on this boat, uh, that, that hey, in the Old Testament, uh, they would do things like that. And it was used quite frequently. But in New Testament times, it was not. And so we see in verse number 7, I just want us simply to see the detection of Jonah's sin. And understand this, that uh, uh, lots do not have to be thrown uh, to understand that our sin will come to light. Listen, everyone's sin will come to the light of day. And, and many people, they think, well, it's hidden and it's unseen and it's unknown. Uh, how many criminals have thought they've gotten away with it and they've changed their name and changed their location and moved and done of this, and then years later, it comes up. I mean, how many, how many times? Uh, I, I just, I don't know why. I, I kind of, I'm interested in, in, in uh, crime and solving those crimes and things of that nature. And, and how many times I, I see old articles pop up and a and 20-year-old case was finally solved. Uh, they got DNA. And the guy thought, well, for 20 years he was free, free and clean and had no problem and got away with it. And behold, it comes to light of day. 
And, and even if they do get away with it, listen, they're going to stand before God someday. And they truly did not get away with it. And it will be judged. And so we understand that sin is detected and detectable. And it will, as we said, uh, be sure your sin will find you out. And so we certainly understand that. But I want us to look this morning on the dialogue that took place between Jonah and these mariners, uh, these sailors that were there. And uh, I find it interesting. They're rapid-fire questions. And my family sometimes... My kids will do that, and, uh, and they'll, they'll ask like five questions in a row. And I'm like, wait, whoa, hold it. I haven't finished processing the first question, and, and there's no way I'm going to remember all the others. Let me go back to question number one. What was it? Look there in verse number eight. They really do rapid fire the questions at him. They say, then said they unto him, watch the questions, tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? Whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? And we find, uh, I want us to notice the scrutiny of the dialogue and that they were examining. I mean, these guys would have made great uh, lawyers cross-examining cross, uh, cross, um, a witness and saying, hey, we want to know who you are, where you came from, what's going on, what was the crime? And, uh, and as we look at this, that's kind of the idea that they're going with. Uh, the lot did fall in, jo in Jonah's lap, and so they're saying, hey, uh, hey, who are you? Notice the first question. They said, tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. In other words, they're saying, hey, what's the crime that was committed? In other words, for whose cause? Who did you wrong? What have you done wrong? And who did you wrong? Or who did you harm? Or what did you do wrong that would cause us to have this problem? They were trying to establish exactly what had taken place. I find it interesting because we're, we, 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 we really pose ourselves as so smart and so technologically advanced today, and, and yet I don't think we're as far as we lead ourselves to believe. Um, I know there's a lot of advancements, don't get me wrong, I, I, I understand that, I recognize that, but sometimes we, we think we are the smartest thing uh, that has ever come across the universe in our society, and, and we think, well, we can determine the weather. Matter of fact, we pay people uh, to stand up every day and to tell us what the weather is going to be like, and, and, and really, it can change. We live in Ohio. We know it can change just like that. And these, uh, these lost mariners realized and accepted the fact that, hey, this storm was not a weather pattern that was blowing through, but rather this storm was a judgment from God that was upon that boat for some reason. They realized that. They look at their question and how they asked. They said, then said they unto him, tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is come upon us. What? That storm. They were saying, hey, why, why are we having this storm? What is going on in your life that you have caused the judgment of God to come upon our boat? And certainly they recognized that. I want you to notice as well, as we think about this, that in, in God's court, uh, there is no pleading of the fifth. 
I remember when my brothers and uh, and they we we'd argue and fight as brothers will often do, and uh, and and I remember very young learning. I plead the fifth, and uh, and saying I, that's what I would tell my brothers. I plead the fifth. You know, did you do? That? I plead the fifth, and that's that was always our out. Listen, in God's court, uh, there is no pleading the fifth, because he's the he he. He already knows we are guilty, number one, or if we're not. And so he's not looking for, uh, well, I refuse, to, uh, I refuse to say anything because it may incriminate myself. And, and he says, I already know you're guilty, so why don't you just come out and flat admit it? And Jonah is put in that position, and he says, hey, what's the crime? What have you done? What evil or what, what bad thing have you done that's caused this evil to come upon us? And it would do us well to remember in Proverbs chapter 28 and verse number 13, the Bible says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy." Hey, if, if we try and cover it up, we are not going to prosper. The Bible is very clear about that. But if we confess it and forsake it, then there is mercy that is available. And God's court is looking for just a straight up, hey, confession. Hey, I messed up. Hey, I did wrong. And we find that they were asking him, hey, what did you do? What exactly is going on? Not only that, but I want you to notice this. They asked him, what is thine occupation? What is thine occupation? And uh, really, they're looking for uh, reputableness here in this, this fella in Jonah. Uh, if, if he was a, a fella of ill repute, he would have said, well, you know, I'm just, a, uh, just your average businessman. Or, or I'm just your traveling whatever, you know. And, and, and he wouldn't have given them a straight answer. And a lot can be determined uh, by, by what a fella does. I mean, there's a lot of good jobs that, that are good, good, honest ways of earning a living. And, and so asking him that uh, was kind of a, hey, you know, where you been? What have you been doing? And, uh, and where do you work? Uh, and in Jonah's case, I'll be honest with you, it was a complete embarrassment. Because here he was, a prophet of God. We already established that in our first lesson. He was a prophet of God, but he was running from God. So what an embarrassing question for, for Jonah to have to answer that and say, uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a prophet. What about the second, the next question they asked him, third question, uh, they asked him the conduct. Uh, not only his crime, his calling, but his conduct of the accused. They say, whence comest thou? In other words, hey, what have you been up to? What, what is going on in your life? That, uh, uh, why are you here? Uh, that question is, uh, is interesting. It's the same exact question that Elisha asked Gehazi. And I don't know if I said his name right. Gehazi, Gehazi. Uh, when you speak multiple languages, you can just chalk it up to, to languages. But... Um, Gehazi, who was Gehazi and who was Elisha? Elisha was the prophet of God. 
And, and Elisha had healed uh, Naaman, the leper that had come, and, and, uh, and he had leprosy. He was not from uh, Israel. And he came and, and he dipped in the muddy Jordan seven times. And after he was healed, he tried to give Elisha some money and give him some things. And, and Elisha said, nope, I'm not going to take it. Now Gehazi was Elisha's servant. And he served Elisha and he was helping Elisha. And, uh, and Naaman, he said, well, if you're not going to take payment, then I'm going to leave. And so he left. And Gehazi, uh, Elisha's servant, it started eating him. He said, man, I, how, can I, how can Elisha, I know how he lives. I know he doesn't have much money. I know he, he doesn't get much. And, and how could he just allow Naaman, who's very wealthy, uh, to just leave when he offered to pay? So Gehazi, he, he takes and he kind of out the back door and disappears and, and, uh, and he sneaks around and he goes out and he catches up to Naaman and, and when he gets to Naaman he lies to him and he says, he says hey we had a couple prophets come along and they need some stuff and, and Gehaz or, or, uh, Naaman uh, recognizes Gehazi as the servant of Elisha and says hey no problem okay I was going to give him something anyways and so he says here take a couple change of raiment take a little bit of silver and, and give it to him and Gehazi takes that back and he hides it so Elisha doesn't see it. Then he comes back. And when he comes back to Elisha, Elisha asks him this question. From whence comest thou, Gehazi? In other words, what have you been up to, Gehazi? What are you doing? And it's an interesting question because Gehazi really didn't give him any uh, any uh, thing where he was going when he left. And, and when he came back, he just kind of showed up like, well, I'm back at your service, you know, if you need anything. And, and I'm just here checking in on you. And, and, and Elisha, because God had revealed to him, hey, there's something going on. And so, uh, so he asks him, whence, from whence comest thou? Gehazi, the same question that is asked here of Jonah, from whence comest thou? What's going on in your life? And they were trying to establish, hey, what is, what is the problem? And it certainly points to his disobedience. Uh, what was he to say? Well, God told me to go to, uh, to, to Nineveh and I didn't want to. So that's why I'm on this ship. I mean, that's, that's certainly an embarrassing answer. That's not something that he would want. And every question that they are asking is just pointing directly to the fact that Jonah was a servant of God that was running from God, that had been disobedient from God. They asked him, what is the citizenship? They said, what country are you from? A reputable country or not, and some countries certainly are uh, troublesome countries, you know, sometimes, especially throughout history, some countries have had more problems with some people than other people, and, and so if he was a, a, a from a country that would be a, a problematic country, that might not bode well for them, but, but Jonah uh, wasn't from a, a bad country per se, Jonah was from Israel. Jonah was a prophet of God, and uh, Jonah was not representing his own country very well because he was running from God. They go on in verse number 8, and they said, uh, and, and of what people art thou? Even inside a country, sometimes some people can be some problematic people uh, within a country. And so they said, hey, we want to know not only your citizenship and your calling and, 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 uh, and what you're up to, and uh, we want to know that your companions, who are, who are your people? What are your kind of people? And, and, uh, and they continue asking him, and um, look with me there in verse number 10. 
And they continue their questions. They said, and when then were the men then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? The compulsion or uh, the reason why. And, and listen, uh, motive matters. It's important why we do what we do. Uh, some people think, well, we'll just do what's right and that's all that matters. Uh, but listen, we ought to do what's right with the right motive behind it as well. Um, some people think that motive is not important. Listen, motive is important. They asked him, uh, they said, hey, why, why did you do uh, what you're doing? And there's certainly a lot we could look at that as far as Jonah goes. Uh, but then the consequences. In verse number 11, they said, then said they unto him, what shall we do unto thee? In other words, hey, how can we solve this? And their questions were, were very scrutinizing to Jonah, and they were very direct, and, and most of them were, uh, were, were right on, on point and, and certainly very directive. Now, I want you to notice the, uh, the self-incrimination of Jonah's answer. I, I don't think that everything that Jonah said is written here because uh, we are, we're led to believe that in verse number 10 that, that not everything was represented, but a lot of what is represented is here. And the Bible says here in verse number 9, as he begins to answer some of these questions, and he said to them, I am an Hebrew. We find that's his ancestry. And, uh, and, and they were God's people. They would recognize, oh, Hebrew, that's God's people. And listen, the Hebrews were, were originally set up to be a blessing. When God called Abraham out and he said, hey, uh, you're to be a blessing to all people and to all nations, and, and they should have been a blessing. But instead of being a blessing, at least in this passage, we find that Jonah is not being a, a blessing uh, to the sailors that are on that ship, but rather a curse because he's the one that's running from God. And for his cause, that storm was sent upon that boat. And so we find uh, that, that his answer, well, I'm a Hebrew, well, that was self-incriminating because he was running from God and he was not being a blessing. Look at his uh, associations or his allegiance there. In verse 9, he says, And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. His association, he's saying, listen, God is my God. You got to understand in, in Bible times, and even today, but we don't see it outside of our culture, but they lived in a very polytheistic uh, place. In other words, there were a lot of people that they would rub shoulders with on a day to day basis that believed in the God of the night, the God of the day, the God of the stars, the God of the rivers, the God of the rain, the God of the harvest, the God of the this and that. They had many gods, not just one God. And so uh, they, they, would, uh, they would be very, very polytheistic, very believing in many, many gods. And, uh, and the fact that he would say, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land, is pretty definitive. And he's saying, listen, I believe the Lord that created everything. But it's kind of funny because even in his testimony at the same time, it's like when your words don't line up with your actions, boy, they just kind of lose the effect. And the self-incrimination, well, I'm, I'm the cause of this storm. And, and I'm the reason because I'm not walking with God as I should be. 
And, uh, and, and we see that his actions there, uh, his ancestry, his association, his actions in verse number 10, then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And his actions didn't line up. Matter of fact, he was running from God and he was set up for failure and, and it was really a shame and it was really an embarrassment. And, and I couldn't imagine uh, being Jonah and having sat down before these heathen sailors and being grilled the way that they grilled him and, and scrutinized him and then having to say, well, I, I believe in God, the God that made everything, that God. But I'm not doing what he wants me to do. And only, even his very words, as he would say them, I could just imagine, uh, would, have, would have just ripped his own heart out, per se. And he would have realized, you know how when, when you, you know something's not right, maybe in your own life, and you know, well, I'm not doing right, but man, when you, when you come down to the fact that you have to say it, man, it's just, it's like, wow, that really sounds bad. Man, that's really rough. And that's where Jonah was at. He, he was put in a position where he was having to admit before all these guys who he was, what he believed, what was the problem in his life. You talk about humility and the way that his, uh, his sins were then exposed. Look at his advice in verse number 12. The Bible says, And he said to them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon them, or upon you. And we find that, uh, that he, he realized, hey, you've got you to throw me in the sea. That's the only answer there is. You've got to get me off this boat because I'm not going in the right direction. I'm not doing what God wants me to do. And we see, uh, I think here in this verse, we see true repentance. True repentance is going to accept God's punishment. He says, man, I know I'm not right. It's one thing to say, I know I'm not right. It's another thing to say, you know what? I know I earned what's coming to me. So go ahead and throw me overboard because I know that's what I deserve. I know that this is, this is my fault that all this is upon you. And I, I think we see uh, Jonah's true repentance there. And I see not only his true repentance, but I think great resolve in, in being completely uh, submitted to God and saying, you know what? If God wants to take my life, you throw me on that sea. If God wants me dead, then, then he'll take care of it. If God wants me somewhere else, then he'll take care of it. If God wants to do whatever he wants, he's saying, hey, you throw me overboard, you take my life, and you just throw it to God because I obviously have messed up in my life. I find it interesting, and, and I, I uh, Lord brought these two verses to my mind. One is Ecclesiastes 11.1, 1, where the Bible says, cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. What does bread represent? Bread often represents life. And so it's like Jonah saying, hey, take my life and throw it on the waters, throw it out there for God, and let God determine the results of where I end up and what happens in my life, but, but I'm not going to hold you back any longer. The Bible says this in Mark 8, 35, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake 
and the Gospels, the same shall save it. And I think Jonah was saying, hey, listen, you know what? I tried to save my life. I did not want to go to Nineveh. I did not want to preach to the Ninevites. I tried to do what I wanted to do in life, but I'm done living my life. I'm done trying to save my life. I'm going to, I want you to cast my life upon the water. And we'll let God determine the results of it. So we see a dialogue that took place. We see the scrutiny. We see the, uh, the, uh, not only the scrutiny, but the self-incrimination that, Jonah, uh, that Jonah's answers really hit home with himself. And, and that, uh, that really he said, you know what, the only thing left is just throw me overboard and I'm done. We find not only the scrutiny and the uh, the. Uh, self-incrimination, but I want you to notice the scare as we as well. Look at what they said in verse number 11. I'm sorry, back up at verse number 10. Then were the men exceedingly afraid. When were they afraid? They were afraid when they realized they had a prophet of God, the God that created the heaven and the earth, that God. They had one of his prophets on their boat. Then were they exceedingly afraid. And he was running from God. They, of course, that too. Uh, but but there, was, there was fear that was struck in their hearts because God uh, is the God. And Jonah confessed, I fear the Lord. Even though his actions did not align, uh, he still pointed them to the powerfulness of God. And listen, there is nobility in the fear of the Lord. I think a lot of our society has lost the fear of the Lord. And, and of course, there, there's a lot to that whole idea of fear of the Lord. I think in one aspect, though, it does carry with it a certain awe and respect and fear in the way that we would say fear of God. In other words, hey, people, uh, people are, are so vulgar and perverse and bad in this world. Why? Because they think there's no consequence for their sin. They think there's nothing that's going to, uh, to, to judge them or, or uh, there's no payback for their sin. And they've lost the fear of God in their life. These sailors still had a little bit of nobility of fear of the Lord. We see the nobility of the fear. I want you to notice as well the deterrent of the fear. When there is a fear of God and there is a realization that God is all-powerful and that God does set in heaven and God does realize or judge everything that is going on, hey, there's a deterrent for sin. Uh, the Bible says this in Proverbs 19.25, Smite a scorner and the simple will beware. The Bible says in Proverbs 21.11, when the scorner is punished, the simple is made wise. In other words, when somebody is punished for sin, then all of a sudden everyone's realized it. And they say, oh, yeah, I don't want to do that because I don't want that on my life. And these sailors would look at Jonah's life and say, you know what? There is a God in heaven. He is powerful. And he, and he does, he can punish those who do not follow him. And, and so they would realize that and it would become a deterrent from continuing in sin. Could you imagine, we'll, we'll bring that down to a, a level where we're at. Could you imagine if there were, uh, there were no speeding tickets issued? We'll go a step further. What if there were no traffic tickets 
given out ever. You know what would happen? Well, every stop sign would be torn out because what's the point in having a stop sign? Nobody's going to be there to stop you. Every traffic light would be pulled out because what's the point in having a traffic light? And, and, and people would just drive however they would want. It would be utter chaos in the streets. Why? Because there's no law. There's no deterrent for obeying the law. You know what the deterrent is for following the law right now? It's the police officer that enforces the law. In other words, uh, I drive a lot. And when I drive, you know what happens? You're driving down the highway and all of a sudden, brake light, brake light, brake You're looking ahead and you're watching brake lights. You say, oh man, there's, there's either an accident or something happened. And, and you get up there and, and, and everyone's braking and they're all getting over into the, into the, the right lane, the slow lane. And, uh, and you get up there, and, you, and I'm just kind of buzzing along, and, and I get up there, and you know what happened? There's a police sitting in the median up there. And everyone was automatically deterred from doing wrong because they were reminded uh, there is a punisher out there. There is an enforcer out there. There is somebody that does write tickets, and they didn't want to get a ticket. And so fear can be a deterrent uh, against sin. And so there is a, a nobility, and there is a deterrent. And then... Um, there is the reality. The mariners witnessed God's punishment and correction on a Hebrew who believed in God. And, uh, and the thought might occur to them, how much more severe would God be on unbelieving heathen who rejected God, God's grace, mercy, and love? And, uh, and certainly there's an element of truth to that. And so we see the idea that, hey, there was a dialogue that took place and there scrutiny that they scrutinized Jonah they said hey what is going on in your life and who are you where are you from and what's your occupation and who are your people and and uh, and how can we resolve this situation and all of Jonah's answers were self-incriminating boy what an embarrassment to Jonah man what a what a what a rough seat to be in and 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 then we see as well the scare that, that may cause on those that were around him, because he did answer honestly. He did say, well, you know what? I'm a prophet of God. I'm out of sorts with God. I'm running from God. I'm not doing what's right. And the only way to resolve this is throw me overboard, because I've messed up. And the, the mariners would see that. I find it interesting, even in verse 13, they, they tried hard, the Bible says, to row to bring that boat to land. Why? Because they said, man, we, we don't want to do that. Let's, let's, we'll be guilty of killing God's prophet. And, and, uh, and they, they tried to go against it, but they, they could not. And they eventually, they threw Jonah overboard, just as Jonah had said. And so as we think about all of those things, may we be encouraged in our life to live right, to do right. Hey, to confess our sin to God. To keep, uh, we, we, when we do mess up, hey man, get it right. Don't, don't compound the problem as Jonah did by, by trying to go further and, and trying to get away from God and, and doing that. That will just compound the problem and cause more problems. And we need to just be upright and, and, and straight up with God. God knows anyways what's going on in our life. It's foolish to think that we could cover it up or hide it or get away from him. So we just need to be honest with God. And sincere with God in every, every aspect and every part of our life. As we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And we stand to our feet. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. And God, how incriminating were all those answers to Jonah. And even the questions that were asked and 
God, I pray that you would help us as we think of our lives. God, I pray that you would help us to keep our own lives in check with you. So it doesn't come to the point that other people would be scrutinizing our life. God, you tell us in the New Testament to examine ourselves. And God, I pray that we would take self-examination on a regular basis so that we would not be incriminating and, and, uh, and, and find ourselves in an awkward and embarrassing position when we have to fess up to what we've messed up with in our life. God, we all mess up and we all make mistakes. But God, I pray that you'd help us to live right and to strive to keep our life right before you. God, we'll certainly thank you for that. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts, that you'd encourage each and every believer that's here this morning, and we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we have a short hymn of invitation.